This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you would do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you meditate? Would you go for a run? Maybe you'd just like to rest for a while or take a nap. Therapy can help you find and prioritize what matters most so you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, develop coping skills, alter negative behaviors, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash insight hour today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash insight hour. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. The good news is even though delusion arises in very many moments, it's not inherent to consciousness. It's not an inherent part of it. There are many moments or some moments when the mind actually is arising free of delusion. Welcome to the Joseph Goldstein Insight Hour. This podcast is an expression of our shared interest in self-discovery. Join Joseph as he shares his deep knowledge of the path of mindfulness. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Joseph. Over the last 10 or 20 years, there have been many different Buddhist traditions funneling into the West. These traditions in Asia often did not really communicate with one another. Some way they developed uh, quite isolated from interaction. So when the traditions are meeting here, sometimes there are misunderstandings or confusions that happen. One story, the meeting of two great masters from different traditions, it was in the 70s. It was Kala Rinpoche, one of the great Tibetan masters, meeting Sung San Sansanim, Korean Zen master. They met at a mutual friend's house in Cambridge And Sun's name in traditional Zen Dharma combat fashion <coughs> held up an orange and he said, what is this? 
expecting some enlightened response, I guess. So Kala Rinpoche kind of looked a little confused. And so Sansanim again demanded, what is this? And Kala Rinpoche didn't uh, really reply. And once more, Sansanim asked this question. Finally, Kala Rinpoche turned to his attendant and interpreter and he said, What's the matter? Don't they have oranges in Korea? (laughs) 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 So what I'd like to do tonight (laughs) is to talk about oranges. I'd like to talk about the nature of mind and to try to clarify some of the words we've been using and are used in the different traditions when we use to describe this mind. Words like consciousness and awareness and mindfulness and mind. So we can begin to see the one underlying dharma of liberation in all of the different traditions. We can really come to a common understanding. The fundamental element or quality of what we call mind, consciousness, is the knowing faculty. This is the nature of consciousness. It knows the object. Knowing here does not mean acquired knowledge. So it's not that kind of knowing. It's not knowing from studying. But rather, it's the immediate, direct knowing of an arising experience. So, for example, hearing consciousness, a sound appears, and we know the sound. We know the hearing. You can see the confusion between this kind of knowing and the knowing of knowledge because very quickly the mind jumps in and thinks truck, car, bird. And so we begin to think that we're hearing a truck or hearing a bird or hearing the wind. But we don't hear wind. We hear a sound and think wind. So that whole concept of wind, of bird, of truck, that's acquired knowledge. The knowing of the sound is immediate. It's direct perception. So consciousness or knowing is arising in every moment. It's knowing sight, sound, smells, taste, sensations in the body, thoughts. Moment after moment, things are being known. Now, in every moment of consciousness, delusion or ignorance can be present or not present. Delusion is not inherent to consciousness, but it is a very deeply conditioned habit and tendency. Delusion arises in moments of consciousness with amazing frequency. 
like almost all the time. And when delusion is arising with consciousness, it obscures the true nature of things. That's the function of delusion. It covers, it obscures, it clouds. We don't see things as they are, much as cloud cover will obscure the sun. Delusion is the root. This not seeing clearly is the root of all the unwholesome actions of our body, speech, and mind. It's because of delusion, because of not seeing clearly. So how do we experience the manifestation of this delusion, which happens a lot? We experience it in every moment when the mind is attached or clinging to something or fixated or contracted. We get identified with things. We get fixated on them. We cling to them. And in these moments, delusion is obscuring the three characteristics that Susan spoke of last night. When delusion is present, we're not seeing the impermanence. We're taking what's impermanent to be permanent, so we get attached. We're taking what's inherently unsatisfying to be satisfying, so we cling. We're taking what's insubstantial and not self to be substantial and self, and so we get identified with things as being I or mine. All of this is coming out of delusion. Delusion arising and coloring the moment of consciousness. There are countless moments of delusion arising during the day. Just notice, you know, in a sitting, in a walking during the day, how many times we are lost in our story, in our dramas, lost in thoughts and reactions and judgments and aversions and fear and worry. Every time we're lost, every time we're identified with what's arising, this is a mind moment of delusion. When we pay attention, we see that in each of these moments when the mind gets lost, when we don't know what's going on, it's a moment of contraction. There's a quality of suffering in it. It's almost like all of these arising objects of thoughts and sounds and sights and sensations and feelings. Sometimes I imagine it, you know, it's just these procession of objects and each one has a little hook dangling from it. And when delusion is in the mind, it's like delusion keeps biting on the hook. Without delusion, they're just all coming and going. They're passing by no problem. It doesn't matter what they are. Aren't viruses like that somehow? They kind of hook on in some... I don't know. (laughs) When delusion is present, we get caught. We get identified. An image which has come to mind a lot, and I mentioned in some of the groups... Now, it's like going to the movies, being lost in the story, forgetting that it's a movie, and then looking up and seeing the beam of light. 
you know, and it's just the colored light. It's the light passing through the film. And in that moment, realizing nothing whatsoever is really happening on the screen beside a dance of light and color and shadow. Nothing's really happening. But we're deluded into thinking that it is. And we get lost in those worlds. It's helpful to notice the quality of contraction that takes place every time we're lost. Because it's really quality of suffering. And right in those moments, we can see directly for ourselves, not theoretically, but very experientially, we can understand the first two of the Four Noble Truths. We see suffering and the cause of suffering. The suffering of being contracted, fixated, attached, clinging, and the cause of suffering, which is that holding on. The good news is even though delusion arises in very many moments, it's not inherent to consciousness. It's not an inherent part of it. There are many moments, or some moments, when the mind actually is arising free of delusion. And the word we can use to describe consciousness free of delusion is awareness. Awareness is the mind free of delusion, free of fixation, free of attachment. We could call it awareness. We could call it the innate wakefulness of the mind. It might be free of delusion for a moment and then we're lost again. Or in people who are fully enlightened, it's the mind free of delusion without relapsing. So it's interesting too and inspiring just to think of that possibility of the mind where delusion has been uprooted. And so we are abiding in that place of awareness, of innate wakefulness. We're pretty familiar with the descriptions of the various deluded states. And in the Buddhist text, there are lots of lists, hindrances, floods, taints, fetters, bonds, knots, defilements. You know, it's like the list, and they're well elaborated. We've talked a lot about this is what we're quite familiar with. I think it's also helpful to describe the wisdom mind, the nature of awareness. That is the nature of the mind that is free of ignorance. Because through the description of it and becoming familiar, we can learn to recognize it more easily when it's arising, and by recognizing it more easily, we can access it more easily. There was a great 12th century Korean Zen master. His name was Shinul. And he had quite an unusual framework 
for understanding spiritual practice. He described the path, the spiritual path, as sudden awakening, gradual cultivation. So what did he mean by sudden awakening? It's the recognition, the direct experience of the fundamentally empty, clear, open nature of awareness. So this is not a state of mind that is developed. It's the innate wakefulness of mind. It's the nature of mind that is free of delusion, when delusion is not present. There is the experience of awareness, of wakefulness. It's always and already present in every moment that's free of delusion. So from this perspective, sudden awakening, awareness is not something we have to look for. It's not something we get. It's not something we develop. It's something we come back to because it is the nature of the mind. A mantra that's proven really helpful to me in the ups and downs of my practice as a skillful means for not clinging, a mantra that helps free the mind from that grasping and that wanting It's already here. That's the mantra. (laughs) It's already here. Because I can be sitting, and at different times, I think you'll probably resonate somewhat. You know, when we feel the mind just wanting something or reaching for a greater peace or a greater calm or more concentration or some kind of wanting, of clinging, of desiring, of grasping at something, even if it's meditative states. And just having that mantra come to mind, it's already here. It's like, oh yeah. yeah. And the mind releases, releases from that wanting, clinging. It settles back into the nature of awareness that is already present in each moment that the mind is not clinging. So, uh, another little Goldstein law of practice. (laughs) It doesn't matter to what we don't cling. (laughs) So you don't have to (laughs) practice to reach some state in order not to cling to it. Why not not cling now? (laughs) It's already here. And so that mantra, it's a reminder that it's not about wanting something. It's not about getting anything. It's about letting go. That's what we're practicing. But it's so hard to 
learn this lesson because we are so driven by wanting, by craving. Even for pleasant, concentrated states. And so we forget that the essence of our practice, the sudden awakening, happens in the moment of not clinging, of letting go, of non-grasping, non-desire. It's already here. We just have to remember. So Chenol is saying, and it's quite an unusual framework, he says, let's start with awakening. Let's start from that place, in that recognition of sudden awakening, and then practice the gradual cultivation of the recognition of that state. Now, when we talk about sudden awakening here, awakening does not mean fully enlightened. It means, rather, the recognition of that awareness that's free from clinging even for a moment. So we touch it, we taste it. Sometimes people have a genuine opening to this. They actually settle back the mind free of grasping, settle back into the recognition of this open, empty nature of mind, nature of awareness, free of delusion. So we may taste it or glimpse it and then think, now I've got it. This is it, free. What I appreciate so much about Chanul's teachings is that he both values these moments of sudden awakening, but that then absolutely emphasizes the point that we need to gradually cultivate it, cultivate the recognition of it, the stabilizing of it. So I'd just like to read a few lines from a book of his teachings, which is a wonderful, wonderful Dharma book. It's called Tracing Back the Radiance. Uh, It says, although the person who has suddenly awakened is the same as the Buddhas, the habit energies which have built up over many lives are deep-rooted. The wind ceases, but the waves still surge. He says, often gifted people can break through this affair of ignorance and achieve sudden awakening without expending a lot of strength. Then they relax and do not try to counteract the habit energies and deluded thoughts. Finally, after the passage of many days and months, they simply wander on as before and are unable to avoid samsara. So how could you neglect subsequent cultivation simply because of one moment of awakening? After awakening, you must be constantly on your guard. If deluded thoughts suddenly appear, do not follow after them. Reduce them again and again until you reach the unconditioned. Then and only then will your practice reach completion. Sudden awakening to the nature of mind, the nature of awareness. 
So we look, we look within at our own minds. And then we practice the gradual cultivation of that. So the nature, the essence of mind has been beautifully described in many traditions. You know, in the Theravada tradition, in Zen, in Tibetan, many traditions are pointing to this nature of our own minds. So I'd like to read just a few of the descriptions. Keep in mind that they're words pointing to something. They're like fingers pointing at the moon, and so we don't want to get too attached to the finger. The point is to hear the words and to actually look within ourselves, look within our own minds. One of the teachings from the Pali Canon, which we've mentioned at different times and just points to this very same truth, where the Buddha says, the nature of the mind is radiant and pure. Radiant here means not radiant or luminous, does not so much mean light as the knowing faculty, the cognizing faculty, the awareness aspect. The nature of mind is radiant and pure. It's obscured by visiting defilements. That's the point that delusion is not inherent to the mind. It visits. From Shunul, the nature of mind is unstained and originally whole and complete in itself. This is the nature of our own minds. This knowing faculty, the mind free of clinging, free of grasping. So don't think of it as something far off in the future. It's right here in a moment of openness. The nature of mind is unstained and originally whole and complete in itself. Why is it unstained? Because it is empty like space. One of the examples which is often used, you know, is like throwing paint in space. The space is not stained by the paint. Why? Because there's no place for the paint to land. The very nature of space is that it is unstained and unstainable. This is the nature of our own mind, free of delusion. From the Tibetan tradition of Mahamudra, it says the essence of mind is like space. Therefore, there is nothing that it does not encompass. Often in teachings, pointing us to the nature of our own minds, space is used as a metaphor. Because this consciousness that's free of delusion, free of fixation, free of attachment or clinging, has qualities which are very space-like. Like space, the nature of awareness is invisible. It's clear. It's unobstructed. In the space, there's nothing between the knowing and the object. 
There's no veil that comes down in between. When a sound is known, it's known immediately, directly. There's nothing interfering. It's completely unobstructed. One teaching described it as stainless beauty. This space-like, empty nature of mind. So how can we recognize this? Well, how would we recognize the space in the room? You know, if somebody suggested, well, become aware of the space in the room. Well, if we look really hard, <laughs> what happens is we look through it and we see the different objects and appearances that are arising. So in order to become aware of the space in the room, it's not a question of looking for something because we'll never find it. What we need to do is to soften, is to relax, is to settle back, to become receptive. Now, just make the experiment of becoming aware of the space in the room. And notice the quality of awareness that's needed. It's very open and receptive. And in that openness and receptivity, we do become aware of space, even though there's nothing to find. There's nothing to see. It's exactly the same when we turn our attention and look within at the nature of awareness. When we try to find the knowing, this consciousness that's free of fixation, free of clinging, like space, there's nothing to find. And yet the knowing is happening. There's one way of language and practice that transformed my own way of understanding the practice. And it was very, very helpful to me. So I'll share it with you and you can experiment, see if you find it helpful. And that is to frame the experience of practice in the passive voice. So what I mean by that for example, is you're walking and you're feeling the sensations and so you're experiencing it as sensations being known rather than I'm knowing the sensations. Sensations being known, sounds being known, thoughts being known, feelings being known. And by framing it in the passive voice, what happens is that we take the self out of it. We take the I out of it, and it simply brings us right into the experience, into the mystery of consciousness, of awareness. It's something being known spontaneously. When, when a sound appears and is known, do you have to do anything in order to hear? When you're walking and undistracted, there's just sensations appearing. As a function of walking, you're not calling up the sensations. You're not saying sensation appear now. They're happening totally on their own spontaneously, and they're being known completely and spontaneously. Just sensations being known. So we use that to bring us right into this mystery 
of consciousness, not into thinking about it, but into the experience of it. And it's happening all the time in every moment. So we don't have to wait for this experience to happen. It's always happening. Moment after moment, things being known. Well, the next provocative question, which we could hold in the mind, is known by what? We're walking or breathing or whatever. Things are being known, sensations being known, the breath being known. And right there in the moment of those appearances arising, being known, we're right there in the experience of it. Well, known by what? When we look, there is nothing to find. We can't find it. It's invisible. It's empty. There's no thing there. And yet the knowing is happening. Well, this is quite amazing. A maho. <laughs> Recently, uh, looked through a book by Robert Kaplan, who is a mathematician. The book has a wonderful title. It's about the history of zero. The history of the number zero. The title of the book is The Nothing That Is. And the first line of the book, which said, look at zero and you see nothing. Look through it and you see the world. And when I read that, it was such a good analogy for the nature of awareness. When you look at it, you see nothing. Look through it or with it or by it, whatever language, you see the world. It's important to understand that in our description of awareness or the nature of mind as being like space, to remember that space is a metaphor. It's likened to space because it shares many qualities with it, empty, invisible, open, clear. But it's not space. Space doesn't know anything. Space does not have a cognizing faculty. And so we don't want to confuse the two. We're using it just as a metaphor. Because sometimes people hear the phrase, well, rest in this open, empty nature of awareness. The mind free of delusion, free of clinging. Rest in awareness. And sometimes we hear that and we create some notion some concept of awareness being this spacious state of mind. But the nature of mind is not a state. It's not a state of spaciousness. So we don't want to confuse that with the nature, the open, empty nature of mind. Sometimes not only do we create a concept of spaciousness, sometimes we fall into the trap of identifying with the nature of awareness. 
with awareness. We identify with this knowing, this is me, this is who I am. At one retreat, somebody was talking about their rather sort of deep meditative experience to, to a Tibetan teacher, talking about this great quality of spaciousness and asking whether this was, this was the nature of awareness. And it felt like it. And we're resting in this very open, spacious place. The teacher had a very incisive response. He said, the nature of the mind, the nature of awareness, is not so much spaciousness as groundlessness. And I thought that distinction was really very helpful. Because we don't want to create a state, no matter how open and spacious it is, because that's just another conditioned arising. The nature of mind, the nature of awareness, is this innate wakefulness in any moment free of grasping. Maybe it feels spacious, maybe it doesn't feel spacious, but it's always groundless because there's no clinging, there's no holding to anything. So right here is the central point of understanding. Susan mentioned this teaching of the Buddha last night, and I want to reiterate it because it is absolutely the key teaching. When the Buddha said, nothing whatsoever is to be clung to as I or mine. Whoever has heard this has heard all the teachings. Whoever practices this has practiced all the teachings. Whoever realizes this has realized all the teachings. So if you can't remember a lot, (laughs) remember this. (laughs) Nothing whatsoever is to be clung to as I or mine. Not arising appearances, not meditative states, not awareness itself. Nothing is to be clung to. And in the mind of no clinging, we experience the innate wakefulness, wisdom mind. So consciousness is the simple knowing faculty. Consciousness simply knows the arising object. Sometimes consciousness is clouded by delusion. And those are the moments when we're not seeing clearly, when we're lost in what's happening, we get attached, we get identified with things, we get fixated on things. There's that moment of contraction into the object. Sometimes consciousness arises free of delusion. We call this awareness. We call this innate wakefulness. We call this the wisdom mind. T.S. Eliot had a beautiful description of this wisdom mind. He said, this is from the Four Quartets, A condition of complete simplicity 
costing not less than everything. And all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. And it just points right to the heart of it. A condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. The mind that is not clinging to anything at all. So there's an image that describes this movement from delusion to awareness. And the image used to describe this movement is the image of ice and water. What's the nature of ice? It's solid. It's reified. It's contracted. And it represents, ice represents our normal, deluded mind state. All those moments of consciousness arising when we're lost, when we're caught, when we're clinging at something. Water represents awareness or the wisdom mind, the mind that is unfixated, unfrozen. There's something what's the word? There's something very important about contained within this image of ice being the fixated clinging mind and awareness being the nature of water, and that is that water is nothing other than unfrozen ice. So it's not that awareness is some far off state. And if we practice hard enough, we'll get there. Awareness is the mind unfrozen in any moment. It's already here. We simply have to let go of the grasping, let go of the clinging. You know, there's in Asia, there's a kind of monkey trap where they use a coconut that's hollowed out with just a slit in the bottom. They tie it to a tree. They put some sweet food in it. There's an opening in the bottom that's big enough for the monkey to slip its hand in when it's open, but not big enough for the monkey to withdraw its hand when it's in a fist. Okay, the monkey smells the food, comes in, reaches for the food. It's caught. Hunters are coming, you know, the monkey's getting more and more frantic. It can't get out. It's trapped. Who's keeping that monkey imprisoned? Nothing but the force of its own clinging. All it has to do is open its hand, slip out, and be free. It's a very rare monkey. (laughs) That can do that. Freedom is not far off. It's right here. All we have to do is relax the clinging, relax the grasping. Nothing whatsoever is to be clung to as I or mine. Of course, sometimes we think we're in an open, free state, 
think we're water flowing along, you know, just sitting and everything is flowing smoothly and seems like we're just resting in awareness. But when we look more carefully, we find it's not really water, it's slush. (laughs) Because attachments or identification or clinging can be very subtle. You know, sometimes we don't know it's there. I mean, it can be pretty. We can be pretty calm and peaceful and open. Very often in my practice, I'll be sitting and it'll be a state somewhat like that. You know, where things are flowing smoothly and it doesn't feel like my mind is grasping at anything. I'll be sitting, sitting, sitting. And all of a sudden, I'll just feel just a sudden, a sudden moment of relaxation. On some level, on some energetic level, it will be the letting go of something I didn't even know that I was clinging to until the moment of letting go. It could be a subtle energy of wanting to sustain the peace, you know, or a subtle kind of identification with the awareness. That's what I mean by slush. And so our practice is always practicing clarifying our understanding of not clinging. Sudden awakening, we have moments of genuine connection with it, the mind free of grasping, and then the gradual cultivation of this understanding. Okay, there's one more teaching that illuminates another aspect of the nature of mind, the nature of awareness, and this could say, completes the mandala. Now, the nature of mind is empty, open, vivid, clear, unobstructed, space-like, cognizing faculty. This other teaching (coughs) brings forth another dimension to our understanding. And it's a teaching... uh, by one of the great Tibetan uh, Dzogchen masters of some centuries ago. His name was Shabkar. This is how he described the nature of mind. He said, mind's nature is vivid as a flawless piece of crystal, intrinsically empty, naturally radiant, knowing quality ceaselessly responsive. And it's this aspect of it being ceaselessly responsive which brings in the whole dimension of love and compassion into our understanding of awareness. When we're in this water-like nature of mind that's not clinging, not holding, not fixated, like water, it ceaselessly responds to situations. Now, if you have the image of water coming down from a mountainside and ultimately finding its way to the ocean, and just imagine how the water conforms to the topography of the land and somehow finds, given the particular topography, 
it actually finds the shortest way to the ocean. It's ceaselessly responsive to the conditions. In the same way, when the mind is like water, when the mind is not fixated, when it's not ice, there is this spontaneous responsiveness. And if you think of the most liberated people you know, or maybe seen or heard of, a good example, one we often use, you know, is the Dalai Lama, who so manifests this responsive, spontaneous nature. And it's the nature of compassion. It's the nature of kindness. And also great humor. Some years ago, Sharon and I were at a Buddhist Christian conference at Gethsemane Abbey, which is where Thomas Merton lived. There were a lot of big church prelates uh, and the Dalai Lama and you know, all the monks. And so the, the, the monks from the Abbey are showing the Dalai Lama around. They're giving him a tour. And then that night he gives the first, his first opening talk to the whole group of people. And it's quite a distinguished group. And the Dalai Lama was telling the story of his being given the tour. And evidently at the Abbey, you know, for livelihood, what the monks did, the Christian monks did, was to make cheese and fruitcake, which they would sell. And that was a way of supporting the monastery. So the Dalai Lama was telling the story of how they gave him the tour, and at every stop, they kept they kept offering him cheese. But he said, I really wanted fruitcake. <laughs> <laughs> and he burst out laughing. You know, and then he said, but we went and they just offered me more cheese, and I wanted the fruitcake. And, and it's just so childlike, you know, in his openness and spontaneity and humor. And there was nothing fixed. There was nothing frozen. It was just sort of an easy, childlike responsiveness, not childish, you know, because there's great wisdom and great compassion in that quality of openness. When we're not fixated, when we're not frozen, the natural response is compassion. And it's not compassion as a stance. It's not compassion as an ego, I'm going to be compassionate to you because you're suffering. There's no one there. It's selfless. We could ask, why should it be compassion? Why isn't the natural response of awareness aversion? I mean, sometimes it seems like that. (laughs) (laughs) But when we look carefully at our experience, we begin to see that the natural responsiveness of a mind that is not clinging nature of water. It's compassion because all unwholesome states of mind are rooted in ice. They're rooted in that sense of self, of I, of separation. And so when the mind is free of that contraction, 
there's no self-reference out of which the unwholesome mind states come. There was a great uh, Tibetan master of this of the last century, uh, Dilgo Kense Rinpoche. He said, when you recognize the empty, selfless nature of phenomena, the energy to bring about the good of others dawns uncontrived and effortless. When you recognize the empty, selfless nature, the energy to bring about the good of others dawns uncontrived and effortless. It's not someone doing something. It's the nature, it's the compassionate, responsive nature of mind, of awareness. And this was explained more precisely in the Buddhist psychology, the Abhidhamma, which in some way, you know, can be quite dry because it's just a very detailed analysis of consciousness and factors of mind and how they all relate. But when we read it from the perspective of practice on our own experience, it's amazing. It's amazingly rich and descriptive of our own experience. And it had a very clear explanation for why the nature of awareness is compassion. The way it's described in the Abhidhamma, it says... That in all wholesome states of mind, that is mind, in every mind moment that's free of delusion, in every wholesome state of mind, non-hatred is present. And non-hatred is the Abhidhamma word for the qualities of loving kindness, of friendliness, of gentleness. That's all what's meant by non-hatred. So what is this saying? It's saying in every wholesome state of mind, every mind free of delusion, loving kindness, friendliness, gentleness is present. When the kind heart, when the gentle heart, when the friendly heart comes close to suffering, what is its response? Compassion. So we begin to see that this is the natural flow, the natural movement of awareness, of wisdom. It's not something we create, and it's not something that's coming from a place of self. It is the nature of awareness, the nature of mind. So what supports our recognition and practice of this mind of no clinging? What supports the recognition of this innate wakefulness, this natural responsiveness? What supports it is the quality of mindfulness and wise attention. And mindfulness is that quality which brings us back from forgetfulness. The meaning of mindfulness is not forgetting what the object is. So it keeps us present. And it's talked about on two levels. It's talked about mindfulness mindfulness that's fabricated or prompted, where we have to make an effort to be mindful. 
And it's also talked about when it's well-developed, mindfulness becomes unfabricated, unprompted. It is an innate quality of awareness. I'd like to close with a teaching about mindfulness from a book called The Natural Great Perfection, which is the teachings of one of our teachers, Nyoshal Ken Rinpoche. But I have to warn you, as I sometimes do in television programs, uh, it has some... (laughs) What's the word? (laughs) Language. (laughs) It has some language in it. (laughs) So anybody who'd like to leave... (laughs) mindfulness is the root of dharma mindfulness is the body of practice mindfulness is the fortress of the mind mindfulness is the aid to the wisdom of innate wakefulness lack of mindfulness will allow the negative forces to overcome you Without mindfulness, you will be swept away by laziness. Lack of mindfulness is the creator of evil deeds. Without mindfulness and presence of mind, nothing can be accomplished. Lack of mindfulness, lack of mindfulness piles up lots of shit. Without mindfulness, you sleep in an ocean of piss. (laughs) Without mindfulness, you are a heartless zombie, a walking corpse. Dear Dharma friends, please be mindful. (laughs) May all Dharma friends attain stable mindfulness and ascend the throne of perfect awakening. Let's sit for a few minutes. Relax the mind, relax the heart, the mind of no clinging to anything. The breath being known spontaneously, sounds being known, sensations being known. It's all happening by itself. Sensations of each breath being known. Known by what? The cognizing power of emptiness. May all Dharma friends attain stable mindfulness and ascend the throne of perfect awakening.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you would do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you meditate? Would you go for a run? Maybe you'd just like to rest for a while or take a nap. Therapy can help you find and prioritize what matters most so you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, develop coping skills, alter negative behaviors, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash insighthour today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash insighthour.